So the word favoritism, that usually doesn't conjure up good feelings. You think of like within families, there's sibling rivalries. Like why does little Johnny not get in trouble when little Susie did the same thing, right? Parents, you've heard that. Like why do you favor so-and-so in the family? And this, about a month ago, my uncle Joe, who I was really close to, he passed away. And um, he was my only uncle. And so when I would call him, I would always say, hey, my favorite uncle, how are you doing? I'd say, it's your favorite nephew, even though he had several. I I always knew I was kind of his favorite, but it's that whole whole idea of of favoritism. Speaking of favoritism, um, I'm the youngest of four. My oldest brother, Tim, was eight years older than me. My brother Mike is six years older than me, and my sister Kathy is four years older than me. On my brother Tim's 16th birthday, he was given a 1967 Ford Mustang. All right, pretty nice. My brother Mike, on his 16th birthday, was given a 1971 Dodge Charger which looks like that. And it was souped up, man. I think he lost his license in the first month that he had that car. I'm not kidding. And then my sister, she got given a 1972 Chevy Camaro. I know. You'd think my parents were wealthy or something. On my 17th birthday, I got handed down a 1979 Datsun GX310 hatchback. That was my car. It's hard to get tickets in a five-speed, I'm telling you. Here's the deal. I'm no car guy, and I'm no conspiracy theorist, but maybe I got the short end of the stick a little when it came to, to getting cars. And that's a true story. But in all honesty, I'm pretty sure... I was my dad's favorite. Don't, don't tell my siblings. But I'm pretty sure I was his favorite. He just put up this smoke screen with those cars so that they wouldn't figure out that I was his favorite. Does our Heavenly Father have favorites? No. Scripture says that He is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. But doesn't it seem like some people seem to be the favorites of God or walk in the favor of God more than others. We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about God's favor and what that means for each one of us. We've been in a series most of the summer, and it's going to take us through uh, the about Labor Day-ish, where we call it Whosoever Believes. And we're looking at the letters in the New Testament that were written to the churches and sometimes individuals. In the last two weeks, we did First and Second Timothy. Today is the book, Little Letter of Titus. The Apostle Paul wrote Timothy. He called him his son in the faith. And it's a pastoral letter. How do you pastor a church? What are the things that, sh- the structures of the church? What doctrines should you emphasize? And we did First and Second Timothy. Today is Titus. Titus was a Greek uh, convert to Christianity. And he was on the island of Crete, 
Crete, you can go there today. It's a really great vacation spot. If you Google pictures of Crete, it's a beautiful little island in the Mediterranean. And it's a beautiful island, but at the time Titus was pastoring there, it was a terrible place. Barbarians, it was barbaric. They made the Vikings look tame. They made the Vikings look like Amish compared to the, way, the lifestyle of the people on the island of Crete. So Paul's trying to encourage this young pastor. How does he stay strong in the faith? How does he stay strong leading a, a, in a place that was crazy? Well, as I was studying and reading through Titus and looking as we've been doing through all these letters, like what is a crescendo pass, passage in each one of these letters that when you're given the context of it, how can I read this book better and how can I grow from it in my own, in your own personal study. When I was reading chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 just leapt off the page to me. I'm going to read it to you. For the grace of God, now let me stop. The word grace in the New Testament can be translated grace or favor. It's the same word, charis, is the Greek word, and sometimes it's translated grace, sometimes it's translated favor. But those two words are interchangeable. The grace of God is the favor of God. The favor of God is the grace of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, eager for good deeds, eager for good deeds. The favor of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. So I'm going to break this down in four simple statements this morning to, to dig out what it means to walk in the favor of God, to live in the favor of God. Let me start with this. The grace and favor of God has a name. Say it with me. Jesus. The grace and favor of God has a name, and it's Jesus. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Man, that's a lot there. Two times in the Gospels, we see at Jesus' baptism and at the Mount of Transfiguration, the, the heavenly, Jesus' Father, our Heavenly Father, shout from heaven at His baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The same thing happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen to him. Why did he say that? There's a lot of competing voices in this world for your attention. There's a lot of competing voices for your allegiance. There's a lot of competing voices to try to give you purpose, security. You know who we need to listen to for all that? Jesus. What does he say? What does he give us? In... Um, in Israel. Did I tell you we're going to Israel in October? Okay, come on. Come on. Uh, work with me. Brad wants to know, have you ever been? Oh, yeah, I have been. Thank you. Um, 
In Israel, there's a place called Qumran or the Caves of Qumran, and it's down by uh, the Dead Sea where it's very deserty uh, climate. And in the 1940s sometime, one of the years in the 1940s, there was some shepherd boys shepherding their sheep. And they thought that maybe some of their sheep had gotten got nervous and went up into the, the, the caves to hide. And so to try to shoo them out of the cave, they started throwing rocks up into these caves. And those that are going to Israel will go to the caves of Qumran in, in October. It's going to be pretty fun. And as they were throwing rocks into the caves, they, they heard this shattering of like glass or pottery. And they ran up to see what it what it was. And what they unearthed was what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls are complete books from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible, the whole book of Isaiah, Habakkuk, and so forth. And there's a museum called the Dead Sea Scrolls Museum in Jerusalem. And we'll go there too, trust me. But when you go to the Dead Sea Scrolls, you see all these ancient. I mean, these Dead Sea Scrolls dated 700 years before Jesus even walked the earth. That's how old they are. That's why many of our more modern translations of the scriptures have better, more accurate manuscripts, because these were manuscripts, not the originals, but, um, you know, copies. And so 20-something years ago, when I was there in 1999, we're in the Dead Sea Scroll Museum, and we had a guide, a Jewish man, and his name was Dror. And I said, Dror, what book? We were just pointing to the Dead Sea Scrolls that we were standing in front. I said, what book is that? He said, it's the book of Isaiah. I said, man, could you read a portion of that in Hebrew to me and then translate it for me, read it in English? And he read it in Hebrew, and then he read from Isaiah 12, where it's, the prophet is saying that, that you will drink, the people will drink from the wells of salvation. And when he said it in Hebrew, I heard, I, I heard the name Yeshua. You will drink from the wells of Yeshua. Why is that important? That's Jesus' Hebrew name, is Yeshua. Yeshua, you will drink from the wells of salvation. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus is the favor and grace of God upon your life. Jesus is the favor and grace of God upon your life. The name Yeshua means God's salvation or God is salvation. And so God knew what he was doing in the plan of bringing his son into this world through the incarnation of God the Son taking on flesh in the Christmas story. You, we read, um, you know, about Matthew. He was engaged to, um, to Mary, right? And she gets immaculately pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Matthew was going to, what did I say? <laughs> Sorry, Joseph. In Matthew's gospel, Joseph, thank you for correcting me, um, Joseph is going to divorce her. He's going to divorce her, but he was a good man. He didn't want her to get stoned to death for being pregnant outside of wedlock. So he's going to just give her a certificate of divorce and go away quietly. Well, the angel comes to Joseph and he says, the child within Mary's womb is, is God's son, the Messiah. And he says, she will give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. Did you catch that? The name Jesus means God's salvation. I want you to name him Yeshua or Jesus because he is God's salvation. In the book of a letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace or favor you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's an important passage. This grace and favor that comes in the person of Jesus is a gift. And just like you give somebody a a box with a gift in it, you've wrapped it up. You hand it to them, they receive it, and they open it. What do we do with this person named Jesus who is the grace and favor of God is we receive the gift, we open it, we say thank you. That's what faith does. You don't, putting, being saved through faith doesn't mean we work up some kind of deal and how do I know if my faith is strong enough, big enough, right? No, here's, here's what faith is. Faith is coming into agreement with Jesus that he is Savior and that he is Lord. We often hear people say, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? He's already the Lord and Savior of all. Faith says, I agree with you. And you know what? Today, if you've never done that, if you've never come into agreement with Jesus, today's the day to do that. Today's the day to just say, Lord, I don't know what all is, is going on in the world around me. I'm not sure about this whole thing, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to agree with you, Jesus, in who you are. You are God's salvation. You are God's grace and favor upon my life, and I agree with you. Do that today if you've never done that. Secondly, the grace and favor of God transforms us. This all comes from the passage that I read out of Titus transformation is you and I becoming more and more like Jesus every day in how we think, act, and speak. How we think, act, and speak, that's the transformation process. It's moving away from from self to self-denial. He said this, he said, this grace is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we spend a lot of energy trying not to sin. Ever tried that? The more you try to break a habit, a sinful habit, the harder that habit seems to break. And it's like Romans 7 says, the law arouses the sinful nature. The more you try to not do something, the more you you think about it. And it becomes that habit that's hard to break. In the book of Romans, we have uh, the Apostle Paul's amazing letter to the church in Rome. In the first five chapters, Paul is laying out the good news. He's laying out the doctrine of justification by faith and that we're made right with God through faith in Jesus in his finished work. That's what justification by faith means. 
And Paul anticipated that his audience was going to say, hey, that, that's too good to be true. Are you saying that I can just sin away and everything's good? He knew that that was coming. I've heard people say that before. I heard Chuck Swindoll one time say, you know you've tr- truly preached the purity of the gospel if someone comes to you and says, um, in light of what you said, are you saying that I can still sin? anticipate that question. Paul says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Grace and favor transforms us. Grace and favor is not a license to sin, but rather the power of God to deny sin. Let me say that again. Grace is in favor is not a license to sin, but it's the power of God to learn to deny sin. It's the grace that does it. It's not our willpower. My willpower stinks. I don't know about you. When I'm trying to do something in my own strength, I realize, man, I can't do this. So you depend upon grace. You depend upon His favor. So we participate in this whole process of transformation, but it's Him in grace that's doing the transforming. If you were to literally, physically spend the day with the Lord Jesus, like the disciples did for three years, if you were to spend a day with Him, you would expect some special things to happen in your life. I know one thing, if you spent the day with Jesus, you wouldn't have any fear. You're walking with the one who created the universe. You're walking with the one who has all authority over hell and demons and the spiritual world. He is the authority of all. All bend the knee and submit to Him. He is all-powerful. I know this, you'd be wiser walking with the one who is the wisdom of God, literally. Your character would change. We would watch how Jesus taught, how He spoke to people, what He did. Our character would change. And you know what? Our behavior would change, right? The accountability level of Jesus is as close to me as Brian and Jill are in the front row. I'm going to zip that and not say that in front of Jesus, right? I'm not going to treat that person poorly because the one who's all loving is with me. I got good news. I got good news. All of that would happen because you were with him. But the good news is, is he is with you 24-7. How? When Jesus walked the earth physically, he he limited himself to time and space as you and I are limited. When he ascended back to the Father because he told his disciples, it's better for me to go back to my Father so I can pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' presence with us 24-7, living on the inside of us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit where He resides. Transformation, though, it does come with a cost. It's free, and yet it's costly in this sense. Transformation is us giving our agenda for our life over to Jesus. It's costly because I give over my selfishness to take on self-denial. 
to not be self-centered, but to become other-centered like Jesus is. My brother and my nephew, Micah, they went recently to Bolivia in South America, and they were going to preach the gospel and, and help some churches. And they were in pretty remote parts of Bolivia where some of these people had never seen a white person before. And they lived kind of like in villages and so forth, huts and all that. And they were going hut to hut and just asking people if they could pray for them and tell them uh, about Jesus and how much God loved them and what God had done for them through Jesus. And they came upon the house of the village shaman, the witch doctor. And they started talking to him about Jesus. And as he heard the good news, his heart was awakened. And he said, I want that. I want to know Jesus. I want to be right with God. And through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, my nephew Micah felt like, like God was going to issue just a word to this man. Because as the witch doctor, he had all his paraphernalia and, and potions and books and all of that, his healing crystals or whatever. And he felt, Micah felt prompted to tell the man, hey, yes, follow Jesus. His grace and favor is upon your life. But you got to burn all your stuff. You got to burn. Let's have a bonfire and burn all this. And much like the rich young ruler who asked Jesus, how does he inherit eternal life? And Jesus ultimately said, for you, rich young ruler, sell all your stuff, give to the poor and follow me. And you know the story, the rich young ruler, he couldn't do that. And he walked away sad. We don't know what ended up happening, but we know in that moment, it was too costly for him, that transformation. Well, for this witch doctor, he said, this is my livelihood. This is how I make a living. I can't do that. And they walked away, and he, he refused to do that. So that night in the village, they're having some kind of meeting, and all of a sudden, that witch doctor came down with all of his stuff, and he said, let's have a bonfire. And he broke away from all of that witchcraft and voodoo and whatever and became a follower of Jesus because the grace and favor of God transforms us. And it teaches us to say no to worldly desires. It teaches us to say no to sin. It teaches us to say, you know what? If it costs me everything I have, I'm following Jesus. I'm following him. I'm going to do things his way. I'm going to align my life with Jesus. That night, that man aligned himself with the grace and favor of Jesus was transformed. And I don't know about you and what maybe his costly transformation represents. Could be money, could be possessions, could be a career, could be some kind of want, desire, whatever, that we might have to die to ourselves over. But you know what? On the other end of walking in the grace and favor of God is the best life there is. Better than any infomercial, any, uh, you know, beautiful location, better than anything we could ask for is to walk under that, align ourselves and walk under the grace and favor of God, who is Jesus. Are you with me? Thirdly, 
the grace and favor of God provides hope for the future. We're living in a world that does not seem to have a whole lot of hope. But the message of Jesus, the gospel, is a message of hope for everyone who believes. It's a hopeless, hopeless situation. People are looking at, at, at life around them and, and, and just seeing, you know, the, the money and difficulties and health and all these things. And here's the deal. I'm preaching to myself, I promise. If we put our hope in anything or anyone that can be taken away from us, our hope's not on solid ground. God wants us to put our hope in Jesus. Nothing can take away from Jesus. Nothing can take away from the hope, the confident expectation that we have in the promises of God found in Jesus. People could be taken away, possessions, all this stuff can be taken away. But his promise of eternal life and his promise of peace and joy in this life, nothing can take that away. He said, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. The blessed hope is the second coming of Christ. He came the first time on a mission. And the first time he came and took on humanity to undo the fall of Adam, to undo that by his life, death, and resurrection. He did a great reversal there. He's the new and true Adam. He's the prototype of what we're going to be like when we get resurrected one day. We're living in between his first coming where he came to, to deal with our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. And he defeated them. At his second coming, he's coming as king of kings. He's coming as lord of lords. Every eye will, will behold the glory of Jesus. So we're living in between. We need to know what Jesus has promised for us. Let this promise that he said strengthen your hope today. He told his disciples, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you also will be. Jesus was a carpenter when he was on, on the earth. I don't think that was happenstance. He created the universe. He's good at creating and building. He's, he's building something for us in the life to come. You can take it to the bank. That's what your hope is is in. And then lastly, the grace and favor of God leads us to do good works. Leads us to do good works. He says, he said, who gave him, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good works. People who wake up in the morning and say, how can I make life better for my spouse? How can I make life better for my family? How can I serve my community? How can I make life better for the people I work with? 
How can I make a difference in this, this world? Those people are living in the grace and favor of God. Not because they're doing good works, but the grace and favor of God that's available to all of us is producing that desire to make a difference in the world. I was talking to a guy um, some of us know this past week on the phone. His name is Don Cords. And the last two teams that have gone to the Dominican Republic, we've worked with a ministry that he started called Handfuls of Hope. And Don's no special guy. He's just got a big heart. Living, he's eager to do good works, living in the grace and favor of God. Jesus doesn't create us just to, just to skate by or get a get-out-of-jail-free card. He created us and recreated us so that we could make a difference in this world. Is there no greater feeling than to know you made a difference in the life of somebody? There's nothing like it. That's what all of us should be eager to, to do. Don Cords, as I was talking to him, he he went down to the Dominican Republic a few times and fell in love with the people of the Dominican like I have and many others have fallen in love with that country and those people. And there's some poor, poor poverty. Anyone who's gone, we've seen like incredible conditions that people are living in. And Don started this ministry called Handfuls of Hope in a, in a pretty far out uh, place in a sugarcane village and he's got they got a building now and they're taking kids who who often don't have birth certificates and if you don't have a birth certificate in the Dominican you don't get to go to school so he's taking these kids that society's kind of pushing to the side and he's educating them they go to school five days a week they get uh, at least two good meals every day in, a, in an impoverished area He's making a difference. And they have a church that meets in their building and they're having an impact. They meet on Friday nights. It's all just because Don and, and then the others that gather around him are eager to do good deeds. Eager. As I was preparing this week, I, I just Googled the word favor because I was teaching on the favor of God. I do that often. And I stumbled across this ministry called favorinternational.org. Check it out. This lady, very unassuming lady, had a vision for making a difference in southern Sudan and in northern Uganda, very war-torn, difficult places where people haven't even heard the gospel. And as I was looking through their website, man, they're making such an impact on that part of the world and not just having white people come in and be the heroes, but equipping these African people to be self-sufficient and to, to uh, preach the gospel to their own people themselves. Here was the statement on, on their website that really stood out to me in kind of their, their vision statement. Lord, call me to places no one wants to go to do what no one wants to do. Wow. So for you and I, sometimes when you hear a message about making a difference in the world or missionaries or whatever, you're going, Lord, please don't call me to Africa. I don't want to do that. Am I right? Come on. We're, we're Americans. We're soft. But whatever God calls you to do, 
He will equip you to do it. If something's on your heart to do good in this world around you, He will empower you to do it. He, will, he doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. And so that's a challenge to me and to all of us. Where can you make a difference on a daily basis? In, uh, I read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and verse 10 kind of uh, bookends this whole thing about walking in the favor of God. He says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So before time began, God has laid out a plan for your life to make a difference. For your life relationally, literally, physically, whatever, to make a difference in others. You walk in the grace and favor of God. You align your life with Jesus and His way. All of a sudden, you find yourself impacting other people's lives. Spend your best energy on what matters most to Jesus. And you'll be walking in grace and favor. You don't earn it. You just walk in it. You come under it. Martin Luther, he said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. I love that. We're told to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. Well, truly, we love God by loving our neighbor. We show love for God by how we treat one another. That's, that's how we show love for God obviously through worship and prayer and seeking Him, but ultimately loving others is saying, God, I love you, and I know you've called me to love. I want to kind of close with this. There's, I'm going to read from Psalm 84 here in just a second. And, and would you take a challenge with me and memorize these two little verses in Psalm 84 this week about the favor of God on your life? says this, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Favor and honor he bestows on those who walk uprightly. Do not get tripped up in your mind to think living uprightly means you're perfect. I'm so aware of my own stuff on a daily basis. The closer you get to Jesus, the longer you walk with Him, the more you go, ooh, man, I'm a work in progress. But to be upright is to have a posture of humility before God. God, I know I blew that. God, I know I failed there. That's what a, that's what a relationship with Him does. He doesn't abandon us when we fail. No good parent, no good father withhold good from their children. How much more our Heavenly Father is not going to withhold good from you because He's already given everything we need for life and godliness and shown us His grace and favor in the one named Jesus. So I think walking in humility with God increases our experience of His grace and favor. And I think a lifestyle of repentance also increases our experience of that favor. Repentance is a great word. 
Repentance isn't a one-time deal and repentance isn't something we do just for the big sins, or the, the big things that we fail at. Repentance is every day, Lord, my attitude stunk there. Lord, my words were harsh there. I'm a metal a little bit. Lord, the way I drove this morning and yelling at people and getting frustrated, that wasn't right. Not me, but just you guys probably. <laughs> Repentance is the Greek word, comes from the Greek word metanoia. And it means to have a change of mind. You change your mind about how you view God and a God that we create in our own image. And we go and we repent of that. And we look at the eyes of Jesus who revealed the Father to us. And we align our faith to that. It's a change of mind about God, that God is love, God is good, He's faithful. And sometimes it's a change of direction, You're going in the wrong way. Turn around. Turn around and go in the way of, of Jesus. Will you stand with me? The Apostle John, what a great guy. When he writes in his gospel, he refers to himself as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That would have annoyed me if I was one of the other disciples. Like, oh, he only loves you, John. But that's not what he meant. John was choosing to find his identity in the love of his Savior. That's where he found his identity. He knew grace and favor from God. He knew the grace and favor of God was in Jesus. That's why he identified is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Let's do that today. You are the disciple whom Jesus loves. You're the disciple whom Jesus loves. The grace and favor of God is on your life, whether you recognize it or not, because Jesus came into this world. Access that grace and favor through faith and align your life, your mind, your attitude with the way of Jesus. And you'll experience that grace and favor. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you, Lord, that when sometimes circumstances happen, we, we question, where are you? What's going on? Help us in those moments to look at Jesus and his life and his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection. Help us to find our self-worth and self-esteem and identity and purpose in your son who is the grace and favor upon our life. We receive that today. We receive it today. We say that to him today. I receive your grace and favor. Let's say that together. I receive your grace and favor. Lord, seal this word in our hearts today. Help us to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. As we...